So there's a famous anecdote that they tell about the guy who slipped up and he ended up spreading a rumor, a false rumor about a friend of his. And the whole thing spiraled out of control. His friend became besmirched. You know, his name was, tar- was, was uh, tarnished. And he felt very bad. And he came to the rabbi in the town and he wanted to ask him for what's called a tikkun, you know, a way to fix what he did wrong. And the rabbi told him he should bring a pillow from his house, a feather pillow. Feather pillow, what does that have to do with anything? But he brings the pillow. He's back in the office and the rabbi says, okay, now take a knife and cut open the pillow. And don't just cut open the pillow. Once the pillow opens, I want you to spread the feathers everywhere around the room and to open the window, throw the feathers into the street. We're gonna do a massive mess exercise, okay? Cuts open the pillow, feathers throw out, start going out into the street. The rabbi waits five minutes. And then he says, now what I need you to do is to go and collect all the feathers. Starts looking around the office, he sees how many feathers there are. He says, Rabbi, forget it. There's no way I could collect all these feathers plus the ones that went out into the street. It's an impossibility. And the rabbi says, that's exactly the effect that your words had. Once you said what you said, it's like throwing feathers out the window. You can't take them back. They assume a life of their own. And of course, the ideal was to get him in touch, to get him connected with what he had done, and then he proceeded to give him whatever tshuva he needed. So typically, the story is used in motivational contexts to get you to realize the power of your speech. Tonight, I want to use this story simply as a descriptive metaphor. Tonight, we're going to talk about talking. Chapter 11 of the second book of the Tanya is all about speech. Speech is a very popular concept in the Tanya. It comes up many times. And it's discussed in many contexts and examined from many angles. The ability to speak, of course, is one of those things that makes us human. We have the power to rationalize. We have the power to think. We have the power to feel and we have the power to talk. In fact, fascinatingly, the Targum, the translation of Unkelos on the Torah, right in the beginning of Genesis, when we have the verses describing the creation of man, and it says that Hashem blew into his nostrils a breath of life, by Yehi Adam the Nefesh Chaya, and man became a living being. The Targum translates living being as Ruach Mimalala, a talking spirit. In other words, what made the human alive was the fact that he can talk. It's very powerful. And Chassidus, over many discourses, examines many properties of speech. For example, like in the story I started with tonight, speech is the one thing from our psyche that leaves our realm and our control. Anything you understand remains within you. Anything you feel, to an extent, remains within you. 
even thought, which can bring <coughs> things to a very, very visual and maybe even graphic life. You can, you can imagine things in a very, very tangible, real way, but it's still contained within you. It's the words that you say that once you say them, like in a story, you can't take them back. Chassidus teaches that words have an effect because of that. The Baal Shem Tov was once uh, sitting with his students in a shul, and uh, there were two regular guys that got into a verbal fight. And one of them said to his friend, in his anger, I'll tear you up like a fish. And as soon as the Baal Shem Tov heard that, he commanded his students to put their arms around each other. This is what he would do many times when he wanted to show them a vision. He would have all his students put their arms around each other and then he would put his two arms on the students nearest him and then everybody could see what he saw. And in this occasion, everybody interlocked arms and the students began to scream in terror because what they saw was actually this man tearing his friend up like a fish. Then the Baal Shem Tov brought them back to reality and he said, I want you to know that every word that a person utters in this world has an effect, whether in this world or in a higher realm, and those that have sensitive eyes can see it. So in that way, speech separates from ourselves, and it really does assume a life of its own. But that's the speech as it relates to itself. What about the speech as it relates to the human being? One of the qualities that Hasidus identifies about speech is that it's the first element within your psyche where you leave yourself and begin to engage with the outside. To understand academia, intellectual ca- the, the, the capacity of intellectualization doesn't require anything outside. Even to feel, where we understand that feeling requires relationship. Something outside of you has to arouse the feeling. But it doesn't require you to engage with that outside thing. Speech means I'm leaving my own, what we call Dalet Amas, I'm leaving my own four cubits, I'm leaving my own space, and I'm entering another space. For the same reason, that's why speech is what allows us to be understood and perceived by the outside world. I could think all day long things, but you'll never know what I'm thinking if I don't communicate it. It takes speech to create relationship. It takes speech for somebody else to know how you feel about them. It takes speech to get somebody to do what you want. So speech is where the person leaves his area and enters an outside area. I guess there's a downside to that too, which is that because speech is what communicates where you're at to others, they're the ones that get to determine what your speech means, right? Even if you said all the right words, but if the tone was off, it could be misconstrued. Even if the tone wasn't off, depending on where the person is at, they could misinterpret it. Should you speak only the way you're going to be construed? No, you should speak the truth. You should speak 
whatever, whatever has to be spoken. But you do have to be aware and extra careful once you're formulating things into a speech that it's going to be taken the right way. And forget right way, wrong way. Also, if a teacher or somebody that wants to communicate an idea, you've got to organize it so that it can be perceived and understood properly. And are we being very literal and, and keeping this only to speech? Because you can communicate without words, with gestures. Okay. Um, so in, in Kabbalah, in Kabbalah and Hasidus, uh, we always employ the metaphor of speech. But sure, as science uncovers more and more about communication, we understand that the better word is communication. So anything where you know that you're leaving your space and entering another person's space, you have to assume that uh, you're being looked at, you're being examined. I mentioned the Balshemto, I myself another story. The Balshemto used to travel a lot with his students. And uh, there was a particular time when they came to a certain inn. The innkeeper took them in and he was about to feed them a meal. And uh, the Balshemtov and the Balshemtov students, you know, the, these are the tzaddikim of the highest caliber. They had very, very high standards of kashrut. So they began an interview. They're asking the guy, where'd you get the meat from? And who's the slaughterer? Bring him in. We want to interview him. What kind of knife did he have? How did he shech the cow? They're going at it for about 20 minutes. And uh, all of a sudden from the back of the room is this old man who was lying by the fireplace and he says, Yidin, tell me something. Are you as careful with what leaves your mouth as much as you are with what comes into your mouth? Before they took in any piece of food, they were going to examine it to make sure it fits all the kashras. And what about the stuff that leaves your mouth? Yeah. We have to always be aware of how we come across when we speak. So that's the two basic qualities that Hasidus identifies. Number one, it's out of your control. And number two, in a way it's you actually relinquishing that control because you're saying I want to engage with something outside of me. Now the corollary of both these points is that you can never put your essence into your speech. How much of you can be communicated in what you say? a very limited amount. Because dibur, because speech, by definition, is you leaving your space to enter another's space, it's impossible for the full essence of the human being to be communicated via speech. That's why Kabbalah says that the deepest parts of a, of a person come out beyond speech. When a person's overtaken with emotion, they don't talk. They emote. When a person's in a state of extreme pleasure or ecstasy, they go silent. Because speech can only get to a certain point. Now, I, I recognize that speech gets to a very far point. You can get a lot about a person from how he speaks. He can communicate values, ideas, perspective. There's so much. But the etzem typically we say, doesn't get communicated in speech. You give a sprinkle, you give a, a, a semblance, you give a, a something of yourself, but not everything. What do, you, what do you consider it when you're speaking and you're, as you're speaking and verbalizing it and putting it together and it's coming out, it's forcing you to 
mm. think. Yeah. And you're, it's like a self yeah. cycle. Is that? Wow. Okay. I wasn't going to go there tonight, but there is, there is um, a fascinating discourse in the fifth Chabad Rebbe. It's called Ranat. You say, any yeshiva boy, you say, did you learn Ranat? And if he says no, then you have to give him a slap. But if, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a famous series of discourses from the, from the Rebbe Rashab. Um, and he spends about 40 pages on, on speech. He spends 40 pages discussing the different elements of speech. And after he says everything I said about the limitations of speech, then he goes and he says, but there's a part of speech that really could get further than anything else. And one of the examples is exactly what you said. That sometimes when you speak, it forces you to reach deeper into yourself. So there's a truth to that. Um, and I saw when I said that the essence doesn't get communicated with speech, you got a puzzled look on your face. So I wanna, like, well, because, what do you... Okay, I'm a writer, so I spend my days carefully crafting and choosing my words, not just in a business sense, but in the way I communicate to people. Sometimes mm. I'll write things out before I have a conversation to make sure that I'm getting out what I want to get out, understanding who I'm speaking to, and how to speak to them, and I would like to think that because I'm spending so much time choosing those thoughts and those words that it is my essence I'm trying to communicate with. I'm okay when you said it's, it's part of it, it's not everything that kind of pulled me back a little bit. Yeah. But first when you started saying that, I was like, ah, I don't know. I mean, if you really take that time and, and bring it out from here and think before you speak or before you write, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, yeah. First of all, very valid point. Let me edit so that, I can, so that it comes across clearer. Just use your words carefully. Right. <laughs> See? Applying it right you know, in the moment. You can never come into the paper. So while a very deep part of you can be, can be communicated. First, it's limited to words and ideas. It's never you. It's not experiential of yourself. I guess when I meant your essence doesn't get communicated in speech, I meant the essence of you as you. Not that you can't reach into your essence and choose the exact words that communicate the exact message that you're trying to convey, but more so that as a person, who is made up of so many elements in the psyche, that never comes forth in speech. And sometimes speech is an inhibition. However, the audience that you're writing to, if they know you that well, wouldn't they understand your essence more? I mean, you know, they, yes. They, you, you, speech can be a window into the essence. Speech can be a very powerful, powerful tool. But I'm, I'm, let, let's, let's talk about from the, from the point of view of the speaker. Speech only communicates a part of yourself. Your whole self comes forth in a different way than speech. Your full essence comes forth, comes alive, actually without speech. In experience, in, 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 um, in deep pleasure, in, uh, in deep tragedy. Crying, now these, these are things that, are, that reach deeper than that's why in Rosh Hashanah we blow a shofar. 
with all the prayers, we don't suffice with that. In the end, that the climax of it all is just the simple cry that emits from the horn. And Kabbalah says that's exactly that, because real tshuva has to come from the deepest recesses of the heart, which speech can limit. Seems like you could use the analogy that we used a couple of times about the sun and the light of the sun, that we would be the sun in that case, and that these words of speech would be the light of the sun. Yes, the, and, and just the light. And just the light. Just a light, just a ray, just a bit of a reflection. Yeah, maybe. Oh, I, I didn't think this part would spark so much discussion, but I'm, I'm happy it is. It's fantastic. Maybe another way to look at it is that um, when you're communicating, um, to use the broader sense, uh, you're, you're, what is coming across is based on what you're trying to communicate, and that is not your entire essence, but it's, it's, it revolves around just what you're focusing on communicating. Mm-hmm. So, in, in what you're, maybe what you're, maybe what, what you're trying to get across is that uh, there's, there's, there's so much more in your essence mm. uh, that you're never really putting it all out there. There you go. In one communication. That's now, beautiful. Now, if you get to know somebody for a long time, like if you're reading, you know, whatever you write, I mean, if you, you know, read um, 20 or 30 different things that you've written, then you're getting all sorts of different pieces. Sure. But it's still not your entire essence. Is that what's your maybe? That's a beautiful analogy. Maybe. Yep, that's fantastic. Thank you. Well, in each piece you write, is going to have a different essence of yourself. That's right. Piece. And it'll so be a puzzle, and then... Right. So you're not getting everything all yeah. at once. But yeah, if you're, if you're sitting there reading 30 things in the evening, right. people will have a more complete picture of you and as people... And then it could form a tapestry, and then a mosaic yeah. comes together in a puzzle. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. Very good, wow. <laughs> Talmud says we're Jews <laughs> exactly discussion hey, see the speech is bringing it out the talking it through is, is getting it to, getting it to be to be uh, deeper appreciated yeah so what happens when you distill things like speech to its inherent qualities what you do is a very important thing you're able to separate speech as a concept from the words that are employed in the speech in other words now we see speech not as words, but as a concept which leaves your control, speaks a part of you, and engages with the outside. And this is the groundwork to one of Hasidus' most beautiful observations, which is everything in the Torah is exact. Why did Hashem choose to describe the narrative of creation with speech? The first chapter, by Yomer Elohim, God said, let there be light. God said, let there be a heaven. The Mishnah says, Ba'asaram ma'amarot nivraha The world was created with 10 utterances. Why is the metaphor speech? You think Hashem got up on a stage and his massive megaphone and he screamed out, you know, Yehi Or? That's not what happened. Hashem doesn't speak as humans speak. But we use the metaphor because it brings across the type of relationship that Hashem had with creation. And so if we revisit each of those points, and let's just translate it into the, into the God-creation model, the speech analogy means, number one, that the energy that Hashem invested in creating the world is more of a removed nature than his other energies that he would put into, let's say, the higher realms, angels or souls. Dalt Rebbe in the chapter says it's even more accentuated when you consider the fact 
that Hashem was speaking with an actionable intent. You know, we speak as humans sometimes to get results and sometimes there's no action. It's just communicating. So if I spoke kind words to you or harsh words to you, that can just be speech with no action. Then there could be a leader or a boss that says, you know, do this, do that. So he's using his speech as a tool to get to action. So the truth is, even when you speak on a relationship level, everything is true. It's removed, it leaves your control, etc., etc. Certainly when you're speaking with actionable intent, you could even attach the speech to the action and then say, it's completely out of my realm. So when Hashem was speaking with the express purpose of creating the world, that speech becomes that much more removed because he was looking to get a tangible physical result. So the, nature, so the energy invested in creation is of a more removed nature. Like speech, it's Hashem engaging with elements, so to speak, outside of himself. Let's say the other parts, the more spiritual parts, would be considered God engaging within himself, like thought, where you create new beings. You can dream up so much in your imagination, but yet it never leaves your identity. It's all within the context of your identity. When Hashem created the world, that was the first time he was leaving his space, so to speak. And that's what allows us to perceive him, like speech. The reason we can perceive Hashem from within the world is because he spoke us into being. And yet, like speech, we only get a small window into God. It never reflects his true essence. The God you come to from within the world is never the full essence of God. So, let me summarize everything we just said, and I'm going to use the Alter Rebbe's lingo. Anytime Hashem wants to express his midot, his character, we in the Torah call that speech. So, something that's moving from Hashem's domain to the outside domain and is being an expression of God's character, that's called speech. So if you, wanted to active, if you wanted to get an expression of God's kindness, you know, one type of speech is activated. You want to get an expression of God's harshness, another speech is activated. The Alter Rebbe actually says that even within each characteristic, each result requires a different speech. Just like a boss has to give different commands for everything he wants accomplished. Everything that Hashem created that came from his kindness had to be created separately. In Kabbalah, we talk about, for example, light and water both represent kindness. And yet in the creation narrative, they each require their own statement. Because it's not just one general activation, it's every result requires a separate speech. So just like when a person speaks, it communicates what's hidden in my heart to another person, Hashem, when he wants to express his character, the Torah labels that as, uh, as speech. And the truth is, and the Alter Rebbe spends considerable time on this, but I'm gonna just put it into a nutshell. The truth is that with Hashem, it's not just his speech that has creative powers, his thought also has creative powers. You know, in the human being, thought is very limited. You can think up things all you want, thoughts never produce results. Speech could produce results, thought cannot. But with Hashem, thought can produce results. The Zohar says that spiritual worlds were created by machshava, with God's thought. So why do we only talk about this world as being created with speech? So the Alter Rebbe says, um, he gives, not here, in a different discourse, a, a, um, 
an analogy from the difference between sea life and earth life. The Talmud says everything on earth can be found in the sea. But there's a very big difference. Everything in the sea um, is very obviously connected with its source. First, they were created from the water. In Torah, in the Genesis narrative, everything in the water was created from the water. And secondly, it has to constantly be submerged in the water to live. Whereas humans, even though we receive our nourishment from the earth, there's no obvious connection that's constant between us and earth. We're not connected to the earth. We don't have to be in the earth to survive. In fact, it runs contrary to our survival if we're stuck in the earth. So that there's a difference in, let's call it the, the, uh, the dependency, or the word in Hebrew is the bitol, the nullification of each life to its source. The bitol of the fish to the sea is immediately apparent. And that's why he's contained within it. The bitol of the human to the earth is not immediately apparent, and therefore we can be outside of it. So the Alter Rebbe says it's the same thing with different worlds or realms that were created by God. When God created something from his thought, what that means is that it stayed within him, submerged within him. They're constantly aware of the dependency on God. They're constantly aware of how they are part of Hashem's identity. Whereas the physical world is created from God's speech because it's an even more separate element where we're not aware. In fact, by default, we can run contrary to belief in God unless we discover it. So that's the spiel on speech. Now, what does this have to do with book two of the Tanya? So the Alter Rebbe says, if you take everything we just said until now about the property of the human speech and by extension, the property of God's creation of the world with the metaphor of speech, you could be led to a mistaken conclusion. And that mistaken conclusion would be that what we've been saying these last couple of weeks, that Hashem is a achdut hapshuta a plain, non-composite unity, and that everything that seems to be outside of God is really a part of Him, you can say, yeah, that goes to a limit. But God's speech, things that He's spoken to being, no, those are outside of Him. Those don't get included in the complete, plain oneness of Hashem. So it goes to a certain point, but the buck stops here. So the Alter Rebbe says, not so. It's not true. What did God's speech create? God's speech created many things, the entire world. Included in this world is human beings. Human beings with the power to rationalize. Since every creator stands above its creation, Hashem's speech must be more sublime and more transcendent than, int- than human intellect. Guess what else Hashem's speech created? Not just me and you, but even the greatest tzaddikim, even the greatest righteous people about which it says in the Talmud that they are greater than angels. So if the letters, if the speech, if the words of God brought into existence the souls of those most righteous that means that the words themselves are also above and beyond the souls of the most righteous. Sorry, sorry. Didn't, didn't Hashem create souls by breathing? Is it, or is that what that was just added? Nope, the, the, he did. The Alter Rebbe adds that in an apprentices. 
Not only did God's speech create it, just God's breath managed to create the human being. And here it's interesting, the breath is considered lower than the speech. In book three of the Tanya, there's going to be a long discussion on this. Without Rebbe will conclude that God's breath is deeper than speech. But for the purposes of this discussion, the breath is lower than speech. Though it didn't, he didn't need to use words to create the soul. He just needed to breathe and the souls came into being. So if God's breath is higher than the souls, surely his speech is higher than the souls. So we're not talking about regular speech, obviously. Even if we carry the metaphor from human speech, it's much more sublime. So the Alter Rebbe says, for that reason we have to conclude that the whole entire speech metaphor is only from our perspective. In other words, Hashem's utterances or those energies that He expended to create the tangible world remain a continuum of His identity just as much as His characteristic expressions, His sfirot, His divine lights are united with Him. If you looked at it from Hashem's perspective, the unity encompasses even what would seem to be external energies. The achdos, the unity, is so strong that it reaches even the godliness that, so to speak, meant for the outside. All those terminologies we use to understand our relationship in the world with Hashem. But not to determine the innate relationship of God with His speech. Now, that's very difficult for us to process because in human speech, those limitations are part of the definition of the way we talk. So how do we contrive of a speech that remains totally part of you? So that part doesn't compute. And it shouldn't, because that's, that's the chasm between the human and God. But understand, says the Altair, but that the unity encompasses much more than you might immediately think. For us, to leave ourselves demands the prerequisite of separating from ourselves. In other words, if I want to enter your space, I have to leave myself. For Hashem to affect the outside is in no way contingent on Him leaving Himself. He can do both. He can live the paradox. So the whole metaphor of speech is just to communicate one thing. And that is that Hashem has chosen specific energies to be those that will be the conduit for His connection with the world. And He chose very specific conduits. The Alter says He chose 22 letters of the Aleph Bet. And the 22 letters of the Aleph Bet, each one has a unique shape, which is a hint to the type of energy that it carries. Doesn't do much explaining, but in Kabbalah we find this extensively, that all the letters fundamentally are a combination of a bunch of yuds and vavs. That's the way the Zohar words it. Yuds are like the uh, metaphor of a point, and the vav is like is a line. Every letter ultimately is points and lines, shaped in different ways. The Aleph is, you know, you got a vav, and then you get on top, and you get on bottom. A bet is three vavs, and a gimel, etc., etc. And um, 
the relationship and how the lines get set up with each other determine, you know, new, new um, energy conductors, godly energy conductors. So while God's words are the source of the human speech, they're nothing like it. And by grabbing more things into the puzzle of unity, what's going to come out, and this is going to be in next week's chapter, is that the more God's unity pervades, the more true humanity and all of existence becomes. Remember last week the difference between the lie and the truth? A lie, as soon as you expose it, it vanishes. A truth, once you expose it, it becomes sharpened. So the more we can extend the circle of Hashem's unity, the more we extend the circle of truth. And the more we extend the circle of truth, the more value, the more importance our existence gets. We don't weaken it, we strengthen it. And I want to conclude with a story that I read today about the power of speech. I don't think it ties in directly, but it's a fantastic story. There was a chassid who traveled from his hometown to visit his Rebbe. He would do so periodically. And he went, he had his visit, he got his inspiration, and he was traveling back home. And he stopped in a city. In the city, there were a lot of scholars. And he was very happy to meet a lot of scholars because he loved to learn. And so one of them invited him to his house for dinner. And they were sitting around the table, a bunch of community members, and they were talking. Very lively Torah discussion. Everybody was contributing. He was sharing his insights. They were sharing theirs. It's a beautiful evening. The next morning, he stayed the night, comes to shul, and uh, they're davening shachris. And he noticed that all these guys were just rushing through the davening. Just mumbling half words. And it got to him very much because he, he put so much emphasis on davening. And uh, here they were just you know, rushing through it. So after davening, he approaches a certain guy and he goes, um, The guy says, what? He says, He says, what are you saying? He says, where are you going today? He says, oh, now I can hear what you're saying. I'm going to the market. I'm going to do business. So the chassid says, don't you realize that when you're davening to Hashem, you're expressing requests, you're asking, you're talking, you're engaging in conversation. What are you mumbling? You're skipping all the words. That's like going to a friend of yours and trying to communicate with mumbling. So the guy was obviously took in the lesson. He was respected this chassid and he said, you know, you're right. I need to reflect on that. And the chassid left, continued his journey home, and now he was feeling even better because not only did he get his inspiration, but he also paid it forward. He was able to inspire a community that was certainly going to improve their davening. At home, his wife, of course, some kids, and he just had a baby. And he walks through the door, and his baby's on the floor. And all of a sudden, as soon as he walks in, the baby starts going, ah, blah, blah, blah. 
and his wife comes into the room and she says, oh, you're so happy daddy's home. And the baby goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, yeah, and you want some milk? Sure, here you go. And the chassid is looking at his wife and says, how did you know what the baby is saying? You can't understand the word. She says, it's true. Most people can't understand, but the mother knows exactly what the child wants, even if he can't communicate it clearly. And she didn't even ask him. She just starts to talk. She says, you know, I was thinking about it this morning when I was davening. How sometimes we don't daven so clearly. But since Hashem is our father, our parent, our creator, He's able to know what we say even if we don't communicate it clearly. Wow. Uh, and I heard this story, it blew my mind. Can I tell you? What a change in perspective. Of course it's true. You think the chassid was wrong. You have to daven clearly. Of course you have to daven clearly. You have to enunciate the words properly and that's part of the relationship. But at the end of the day, it's important to appreciate there's a deeper, there's a deeper threat. And that thread is not just of a servant and his master, but of a son and his father. And in that way, we can be assured that Hashem, He says, speak clearly, but if you don't, I still get you. <laughs>